Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. We're so thankful to have you this morning. Uh, as a church, we are studying our way through the book of Genesis on both of our campuses. And for the last few weeks, we've been focusing in on the life of this guy named Joseph. And there's a really extended narrative of Joseph's life here at the end of this book. And this, since some of us are new, let me just briefly catch us up on what's been going on in Joseph's story. Around age 17, he was sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood brothers because of the jealousy they had because he was the favored son of his father. But while he was sold into slavery in Egypt, he didn't stay as a lowly slave. God and his sovereignty raised him up in the house that he served in to become head of Potiphar's affairs. But when he was head of Potiphar's affairs, Mrs. Potiphar uh, took an interest in him and she wanted to have him. But he said no, and she was not accustomed to not getting her way. And so she decided to exact some revenge on him, and she falsely accused him of rape. And he found himself in a dungeon suffering for a crime he didn't commit. While it looked like Joseph's life was completely out of control two times in a row, first by seeing sold, being sold by his brothers and then by being falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar, the reality was... <coughs> Excuse me. Things were very much in control because that is exactly where God wanted him. Because according to God's providence, he would there run across a man named the cupbearer, a man who was a very close associate with Pharaoh. And he interpreted the cupbearer's dream, and the cupbearer was eventually put back into being in control or being in second, excuse me, being the right hand man with Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh had a dream two years later, the cupbearer said, hey, I've got just the man for you, the guy who interpreted my dream two years before when I was in jail. And what happened was uh, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and he went from the prison to the palace. And one day, <laughs> Joseph became second in command of all of Egypt, and maybe we could say second in command of all the ancient world. Joseph, uh, because of the wisdom God gave him and because of the, the way God had told him these things, he told Pharaoh that he needed to prepare for a famine. There'd be seven years of plenty, during which time Joseph said we'll save up, and then there'll be seven years of hardship where we'll need to use that, what we've saved. And we've seen what happened was about two years into that famine, Joseph's brothers who were in the land of Canaan were forced because of hunger to go to Egypt looking for food. And they stood before him, and Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And the question in Joseph's mind was, are my brothers still the same scoundrels they were 22 years before? So he set about to test them to find out if they've changed. And he put them through um, multiple tests. But the strongest test and the greatest test was when they had Benjamin. Benjamin had been brought to Egypt, and Joseph had his steward plant the silver cup, Joseph's own silver cup, in Benjamin's sack of grain. And when they left to go out of town, 
Joseph had his steward hunt them down and do sort of a search in their stuff. And there they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers were all drugged back to be before Joseph. And Joseph said, I will let you all go free. But Benjamin will stay and be my slave because he is a thief. And in what is a foretaste of the gospel, thousands of years before it happened, Judah, the brother who originally sold Joseph into slavery 22 years before, steps forward and says, take me and let Benjamin go home to his dad. Let me become his slave. Let me, let me become your slave in his place. And thousands of years later, someone called Jesus, known in Scripture as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Judah, would step forward and die in our place for our sin, so that we do not have to face slavery to sin and certain death. It essentially did the same thing that Judah did for his brother in a much greater way. And that brings us up to last week. Last week we saw Joseph's reaction to his brother's self-sacrificial love for Benjamin. And Joseph, who was a man who was usually completely in control, went the exact opposite way. He just lost it, weeping and wailing and bawling. And he put everybody out of the room except for his brothers when he confessed his identity. And what was amazing we saw last week was that when Joseph confesses his identity to his brothers, he forgives them at the same time. And the question became, how in the world could Joseph just forgive his brothers after what they did to him and all that he suffered for what they had done. We learned that four times in that passage there is this key phrase, you did not send me to Egypt, but God sent me to Egypt. And what happened is Joseph realized that even though his brothers had sinned against him, it was God's sovereignty that had brought him to Egypt and who had made him second in command to Pharaoh. And we learned an important life principle last week that we do not want to forget. And this is it. No matter what sin is done against us, it cannot thwart God's plans for us. Let me say that again. No matter what sin is done against us, it cannot thwart God's plans for us. When Joseph's brothers sinned against him by selling him to Egypt, it didn't thwart what God had planned. God rolled it into his plan and still brought him to second in command over Egypt. When Mrs. Potiphar sinned against him by falsely accusing him of rape, it didn't thwart God's plans. Just God rolled it into his plans and still brought him into second in command of Egypt. And this is so important for each one of us. When we are sinned against by someone, it is easy emotionally for each one of us to say, you know, my life could have been successful. I could have done wonderful things if it wasn't for what you did to me and how you sinned against me. And we learned last week, it's not true. The sin that is done against us cannot thwart God's good plans 
for us. God will roll it into His plans and still get us where He is going. And isn't that important? Because it enables us to forgive people who sin against us. It is what enables us to move on, knowing that no matter what people have sinned against us, God is bigger than their sin. Well, this morning as we pick up the story, we're going to find that it's now time for Pharaoh to hear about Joseph's brothers, that, that he's excited that they came. And it's also time for the brothers to go home and do the tough part of telling Dad. And the 22-year lie is now officially up. Let's pick up the story. We're in Genesis 45, verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Well, say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. When Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers have come, just to put it mildly, he's pumped. He is thrilled that they've come. And this is the way it is. Pharaoh recognizes that God has used Joseph to prepare the land of Egypt for the famine, to save the lives of millions, and also to put Egypt in the place of prominence and in control of the ancient world. And Pharaoh recognizes this is in large part because of Joseph and how God has worked through him. So Pharaoh wants to express his delight, his express his love and thankfulness for what Joseph has done by pouring his blessing on Joseph's family and his brothers. That's why he says, you guys just come here and you will eat the fat of the land. Maybe we would say it fat, P-H-A-T, nowadays, right? Some of you who are younger would understand that, you know? Like, it's, you're going to have nothing but the best. It's the absolute, you know, total best of everything I have is going to be what you're going to get. And what happens is Joseph's family and brothers go from the point of starvation, not having any food, and they're not going to eat fast food. They're going to eat the best of food. Essentially, it's like Joseph and his brothers win the lottery. They go from having nothing to having everything. By the way, there'll be no walking for them when it comes to this really long trip. It is as, uh, Pharaoh says, you guys are going to be riding and you're riding in wagons. Now, for us, we're like, okay, that sounds boring. <laughs> but at this time in history, uh, these are not common and, by the way, these are not just any wagons. They're mentioned four times. These are uh, Pharaoh's luxury wagons. This is the ancient equivalent of a Cadillac Escalade. 
They have tinted windows, spinning rims, and subwoofers in the back of them. You guys are coming back to Egypt, and you are riding in style because I want to pour my blessing and delight on you because you are Joseph's brothers. Now, I love the way it also says this here. It says, um, don't bring your stuff. Just, just leave it. Leave everything you have in the desert and just walk away. Now, I got thinking about that, and some of you guys know that uh, we recently changed houses, and we had to move all of our stuff. And, you know, I've, I have my stuff. I have all the stuff from Cindy's side of the family. Now, I also have the stuff from my side of the family, and I'm like swimming and dying in stuff mart, sorting and organizing, and what do we throw away, and what goes to the Cherish Center, and what do we actually keep? And I said, this is my kind of move. All you do is walk out the door and leave the keys in the front step. You don't even want to bring your stuff because every single thing you get from me, Pharaoh says, will be better. Are you catching what he's saying? This is a big, big deal. Now the story continues. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Now don't quarrel on the way. A couple questions as we look at this. I thought it was interesting. He gives them new clothes. Now, why would he give them new clothes? A couple thoughts. If you go back earlier in the story, uh, you remember when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack? There's a little note in there. What do the brothers do when they see the cup was found in Benjamin's sack before they were brought back to see Joseph? Do you remember? Shh. Tore their garments up in, because of sadness. And what does Joseph do? Gives them new clothes. And I don't know if this ties in exactly, but I thought it was interesting. When they sold him into Egypt... What was one of the key things they were jealous of? His coat of many colors. And what does Joseph give them? The finest clothes of Egypt. Now, uh, Benjamin, he gets a little more. Now, if you, you know who Benjamin is, of the brothers, he is the only brother who is of the same mother and father. All the other brothers have the same father, Jacob, but they have different mothers. Benjamin is like the, the same flesh and blood as Joseph. So, We've seen that he loves to favor his biological full brother. He gives him 300 shekels of silver. Now, what is that? Personally, I think that's 22, year, 22 years worth of birthday and Christmas money he forgot to give earlier. And he gives him, gives him five changes of clothes. Well, he also gave Benjamin a portion during the meal at his house. You remember that? 
five times larger. So this is the same consistent thing where he likes to give a little extra to Benjamin. Don't know why it's five. I couldn't figure it out, but it's interesting. The other thing he says is this. Now, on the way back, guys, don't argue. Now, wouldn't that be easy to do at that point? We have to tell Dad our 22-year lie is completely up, and Reuben's going, I told you never to sell him into slavery. I told you. And Judah is going, well, it's probably a good thing I sold him into slavery. Otherwise, we'd really be in a pickle right now. And you can see how this would go around, you know, again and again and again. And Joseph says, don't argue. And here's what I think is so cool. Do you guys realize my plan is to bless you? Pharaoh's plan is all about blessing you into the future. Stop arguing about the past. Let it go. And I personally think there's a really good, real simple point of application for each one of us here. Isn't it true? We like to focus on something that happened in the past, a way that a person hurt us or something that was done to us. We like to chew on it. We like to argue about it. And we just get into it. But here's the problem. We can't change the past. It's done with. It's over with. What we have to focus on is moving into our future. And many times as you focus on moving into the future, that's where God wants to bless you, and that's where God wants to do good things with you. And Joseph is like, you know, just stop it, guys. Look at what is going to happen to you when you finally arrive here. Pharaoh wants to give you the best of absolutely everything. You were starving. Stop focusing on what happened in the past. Just go to the present. The story continues. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to the land of Jacob, the land of their father Jacob. And they told him, uh, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry them, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. Why do you think that Jacob had a hard time believing them? Do you think it's because he hasn't trusted them for 22 years? I think he's suspected they've been lying all along. That's why it was interesting that he had the carts to prove the truth. Now, let me just stop here, and I want to just focus on an interesting parallel. Because I was working my way through this text, and I'm thinking, how can I apply this to how it applies to us today? It seems so disconnected. And all of a sudden, about this point, something sort of hit me. Let me just share it with you. Do you realize, just like Joseph, Jesus was also considered dead? But then all of a sudden, it was realized that he was alive and ruler over all the land. Joseph figuratively rose from the dead and became second in command of the ancient world. 
Jesus literally rose from the dead and became second in command of the entire universe. And I say second in command, you say, well, who's number one? God the Father and God the Son. Just as Jesus absorbed, or just as Joseph absorbed the cost of his brother's sin and freed them from an endless cycle of guilt and shame, Jesus absorbed the cost of our sin and freed us from an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Just as Pharaoh was so pleased with Joseph that he desired to bless his brothers with the best of everything, God the Father is so pleased with Jesus the Son that he desires to bless the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ with the best of everything. That is us. Now, just as Joseph provided everything necessary to get, the, uh, to get his family home to the land of blessing, like the carts and the provisions, isn't it true that Jesus has also provided us with everything necessary to get us home to the land of blessing in heaven and the new creation? The Holy Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance that is to come? There's incredible parallels between Joseph and Jesus, between the blessings that Pharaoh desires to pour out on Joseph's brothers who don't deserve it, and the blessings that God desires to pour out on us because of our elder brother, Jesus, and we don't deserve it. You see how this runs through? Now let's pick up the story and continue again. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, if you have been with us, uh, well, let me start with this. Why did he stop at Beersheba? If you have been with us for a while, some of these clues should be able to, to pop up. First thing you need to know is Beersheba is the southernmost tip of the promised land. This is the last gas station stop before you head through the desert to Egypt. This is also uh, a place that has been very significant in the, promise, in, in the family. This is where God appeared to Isaac in Beersheba. This is where Abraham, his grandfather, sought out God. And here is Jacob's big question. If you'll remember this from the long narrative of Genesis. In a famine, Abraham went down to Egypt looking for food. And remember what happened to his wife Sarah? Absorbed into the harem of Pharaoh? Almost ruined everything. Don't go to Egypt in a famine. In a famine, Isaac went down to Egypt 
and almost made a hash of it too. Jacob, third generation, he's like, okay, I'm in a famine. It would seem like it's time to go down to Egypt, but every single time you've said no. And do I need to stay here? I'm stopping at the land of Beersheba, in the place of Beersheba, to ask you, God, what you want us to do. And here, I think, is a good point of instruction for each of us. How does God guide us into the future? What I like to say is usually providence is guidance. This is what I mean. Usually God opens the doors to let us go to the places He wants us to go. But that's not always the way things work. Sometimes it looks like opportunities open before us, but they're not the places where God wants us to go. What are we supposed to do? Whenever we have a big choice we need to make, when we're supposed to stop and pray, aren't we? Supposed to seek God. God, is this where you want me to go? I'm trying to be in your will. Shut the door if you don't want me to go. Or confirm it if you do want me to go. But very many times what we do is we see an opportunity and we just jump. We don't seek the Lord. We don't pray. And here's what I like about Jacob. He stops. He seeks God and he prays. He said, if this is where you want me to go, confirm it. And the previous two generations, it's exactly where you didn't want us to go. And I don't want to make the same mistake as my father and my grandfather. Now, thankfully at this point, God does confirm it. He says, this is, this is where I want you to go. And interestingly, if you look back all the way to Genesis chapter 15, you see this is not something that was outside of God's plan. Look what the Lord said to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's the whole story of the Exodus. Like hundreds of years before it happened. And here it is beginning to be fulfilled. This is the way that God's people would go down to Egypt. Let me finish up this section of the story. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons and his sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now here's a question. How much of their stuff were they supposed to bring? How much of their stuff did they bring? All of it. Why did they bring all their stuff? It doesn't say, but here's, the re here's what I think. I think it's because they could not conceive about the incredible blessing that Pharaoh had in store. They could not conceive about the amount of blessing that would be in their future. Now, isn't this true for each one of us? 
so oftentimes we cannot conceive about what kind of blessings God has for us. Not because we deserve it, but because we're given that because of Jesus Christ. And let me just point, I tried to think of some ways to apply this. So let me just go ahead and wrap this around. Each one of us loves the way this story ended. What I mean by that is we love the fact that the brothers are reunited. We love the fact that the brothers go from being in a time of famine to a time of fortune. They're blessed beyond their wildest dreams. Not because they deserve it, but they're blessed because of what Joseph has done. And here are some applications for us. As Christians, you will love the way your story ends just like you love the way this story ends. Let me put it this way. Joseph's brothers were struggling to survive, and then they were blessed beyond their wildest dreams, not because they deserve it, but because of Joseph, their elder brother. And look what it says for us as Christians in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. That sounds like Joseph's brothers, doesn't it? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. One of the great, well, God says that one of our great purposes as Christians is that each one of us would be a grand display of what it looks like to have God bless our socks off. Not because we deserve it. We are just like Joseph's brothers. We don't deserve it. But God is blessing us because he is so delighted in our elder brother Jesus. Just as Pharaoh was blessing the brothers of Joseph because he was so delighted in what Joseph had done. How do you find yourself in this blessed group who doesn't deserve it, but yet we're blessed beyond our wildest dreams? Today, if you confess your sin to God in prayer, and if you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that what happens in that moment is that you are born again. There is literally a supernatural transaction that takes place in your heart where He changes your desires from being of the things that are sinful and things of this world to give you the desires to love and serve and honor Jesus Christ above all things. Now, will we do that perfectly? Of course not. But there is an orientation change in our heart when we trust in Jesus Christ and we are born again. Look what else it says in Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as Pharaoh blessed Joseph's brothers with every physical blessing in Egypt, 
God the Father will bless Jesus Christ's brothers and sisters. That's us with every spiritual blessing in heaven and eternity. Nothing in all creation, the Bible says, is more blessed than Christians. That's us. And none of it because we deserve it. All of it because of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that right now we are below the angels, but in eternity we will be above the angels, and we will even judge the angels. And I say all this simply to say that if you are a Christian, you will love the way the story of life ends. You will. If you love the way Joseph's story ends, oh, that's nothing. Your story and my story is the same, but only millions of fold better. But here's the truth. Some people will not like the way the story ends. Everybody on the planet does not live happily ever after. Uh, the Bible says there are two options for eternity. It's called the smoking and the non-smoking section. Really, it's that simple. The Scriptures say this in Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, the options are either eternal punishment or eternal life. Now, you say, well, I'm not righteous. Christians aren't righteous. But the Bible says that when we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we have the righteousness of Jesus given to us. That's why we have eternal life. And look what the Scriptures say. This is so important. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 through 9. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. And what will He do when He returns? To inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When Christ returns, He will return as a judge. And who will He judge? Those who have not responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. The only way to heaven is by Jesus and what He has done. Now, some of us instinctively say, well, I, I thought good people go to heaven. Nobody is a good person. What about other religions? Other religions don't go to heaven. Scriptures say very clearly, He will inflict vengeance on those who have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as there was only one Joseph who was the Savior in the ancient world, there is only one Jesus who is the Savior of our world. Some of you will say, well, this isn't fair, that everybody will suffer eternal punishment except those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Actually, it is fair. The lake of fire is actually just justice. It's a just response to sin. That's what hell is. A just response to sin. 
What's unfair is what we receive as Christians. What's unfair is that even though we deserve to suffer eternally for our sinful thoughts and our sinful actions, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, God the Father delights to bless our socks off for all eternity. The most blessed beings in the universe. Just as Joseph's brothers were the most blessed people in all of Egypt. Not because they deserved it, but all because of what Joseph had done. This morning, there are only two options. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I beg you, confess your sin, trust in Jesus, and be born again. And experience that complete and total change of your heart. The last thing, in the way of point of application, we can get this from this. You know, God specializes in turning around hopeless situations. He does. He specializes in that. I love the fact that Joseph's brothers were guilt-ridden for 22 years. And I love the fact they were dying in a famine. They were starving to death. And what happened was God flipped it around completely the opposite way. Joseph lived. Joseph forgave them. And they went from a famine to a fortune. And you know, isn't that the theme that we often see in Scripture that God loves to do? He takes His people from the time of ultimate crisis and He blesses them to make His grace and His name famous. Remember, let me give you some examples. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? A time where he should have been dead and yet he lived. Remember Abraham and Sarah could not conceive a child, went to the point where their bodies were as good as dead and yet they conceived a child in their old age. And here is what I want to point out to you. What happened in the Scriptures where He allows His people to go through great times of adversity and then He pours out their, His grace on them and brings them amazing rescue, what happened is still happening. This is a pattern that we should expect to find taking place in our life. God will often allow us in great times of adversity to bring us to the end of ourselves. So we're constantly calling out to God and asking for grace we do not deserve. And then when we least expect it, God gives it to us. And we come away constantly praising and thanking Him. Now some of you, I know, maybe think about this a little differently. What well, doesn't always prove true. God doesn't always come to the rescue. Sometimes life gets harder and harder, and things do not get better. In fact, sometimes people get to the end of themselves and they literally die. So where's the grace then? Let me tell you where that grace is. The Scriptures are abundantly clear that in the moment where we face our greatest defeat, which is death, is the moment when God hands us our greatest victory that we do not deserve. 
which is eternal life. Look what the scriptures say. <coughs> oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in the face of death. Or 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. The moment of our death is the moment of our greatest victory. It's the same theme all over again. Or 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All the sufferings of this world, Paul says, is just like a light and momentary inconvenience compared to the blessings that await us through Jesus Christ that we do not deserve. If you like the way that Joseph's story ended, and the way the brothers were blessed beyond their wildest dreams, and they didn't deserve any of it. And you're a Christian? You're going to love the way your story ends. Because just like Joseph's brothers, we will be blessed beyond our wildest dreams. Not because we deserve any of it. But it'll be because God the Father is so delighted in our elder brother, Jesus. And he delights in blessing us because of him for all eternity. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just realize how unworthy we are of any blessing and any goodness. But thank you so much because of our elder brother, Jesus, and the great victory he has won over Satan, over sin, and over death, that you desire to bless us because of your, how much you are pleased in him. We don't deserve any of this. Jesus, may this truth just drive us to worship you with a great heart that is filled with thankfulness because of the blessing we don't deserve. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.